This week we'll be discussing an inevitable part of being a pet parent. At some point, we have to say goodbye. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and this week is Pet Grief Awareness Week. Every day I'll be interviewing pet loss experts, grief counselors, and professionals who have dedicated their lives to helping people just like you before, during, and after the loss of an animal's soulmate. We'll be covering all of the topics that gives heartbroken humans the best support. Anticipatory grief, how to know when to say goodbye and what to expect, and how to manage grief, guilt, and forgiveness. We'll also be talking about ways you can help celebrate your animal's life and memorialize your pet. I hope you find today's interview helpful as you journey through your grief. Hi, I'm Dr. Becker, and joining me today for Grief Awareness Week is a very special guest. He's the president of the Grief Recovery Institute, and Cole James is here with us to talk a little bit more about the very important work that he does helping people address their grief. And Cole, thank you so much for taking time today to join me. And I really appreciate the fact that you have included animals as such a big part of helping people recover from their emotional trauma that they, that they are currently undergoing or that they have undergone. I'm so appreciative that animals have been included in your platform. So thank you for all that you do and welcome. Thank you so much for uh, having me, Dr. Becker. I'm really excited to be here. So Cole, back up and let's just tell our listeners and readers a little bit about how you got into this line of work, because there's probably a story behind that. Sure, sure. So so briefly, because we could go on, but um, essentially, uh, my father, John W. James, founded the Grief Recovery Institute, um, oh gosh, over 40 years ago now, following a, a painful loss of a three-day-old son. And him and his wife at the time uh, found virtually no assistance or support uh, in the late 70s around that loss, right? And unfortunately, really well-intentioned, loving family, their best plan was to kind of paint the nursery back to a neutral co color and let's just pretend it didn't happen. And he had friends and family say, let's be grateful you, you two are young, you can have other children. And obviously there was just nothing helpful uh, or supportive um, by these well-intentioned, loving people, but there just wasn't anything out there for, for grief at the time that he, that he found. And he went on a long kind of search over several years to, to find little things that helped him and, and he pieced stuff together and he, and he found some other stuff um, intuitively. And, and basically he created this method uh, called the grief recovery method, self-published a book called the grief recovery handbook. And, you know, 40 years later, we're, we're here, the books in 22 languages, we have specialists that help grievers all, all across the world. Um, and that's just a little brief story of how it got started, uh, how I came to it. I grew up in the household uh, with him, uh, helping grieving people on the couch in my living room. So I, I was uh, surrounded by this work my whole life. Um, but I wasn't really interested in it uh, uh, in terms of a career for me. Um, and about 12 years ago, I had a really uh, hurtful loss. Uh, my, my, I lost my cousin to suicide. I lost a, a best friend to a drunk driving accident. And all of a sudden, grief was a part of my life uh, on, on a really profound way. So I just kind of went to do this work to heal my own heart. And at the end of this four-day uh, workshop that I did, uh, I was putting in my two weeks at a large media company that I had been with for seven years uh, because it was that powerful for me. And I saw so many transformations in that room with other people. 
And I also saw that grief was, again, still in society, something that people minimized. They judged and analyzed folks who were struggling with grief. Uh, there were cr crazy timelines put on people in terms of expectations of coming back to work a week later and just being the perfect employee again. And I just saw what, what, um, what a challenging thing grief was for, for all of us and how society really still wasn't giving us the tools to help with that. So um, you know, again, I, in, in, in the end of my four days, I was asking my dad for a full-time job, wanting to come on board, wanting to get this out there to more people. Um, so yeah, so I've been doing this now 12 years. I've traveled all across the world, uh, studying under him and, and other experts in, in the field. Um, and I'm so grateful that uh, every day I get to wake up and, and kind of help people with this topic. Yeah, it's so critically important. It, there's probably no no more important job when it comes to emotional recovery or addressing our emotional needs than addressing pain. And th yeah. that's exactly what your foundation does. So then when did you incorporate, when you were talking about how people kind of marginalize it and minimize it and just kind of want to, you know, put grief in a box as a veterinarian, I believe I, I have just seen that compounded because understanding the loss of a human is one thing, trying to explain to your boss or family members that that the what you're feeling for any animal, not just dog or cat or horse, any animal, it it I, I think it could be much much worse, and I've seen it be much much worse. People people just absolutely say it it it's a hamster, get over it, or you know we can go and get another dog. And when did you incorporate? When did you realize that writing and talking about and putting together a program specifically? pertaining to animals was vitally important? Yeah, great, great question. So initially, way back in, uh, in, in the 70s, when my dad developed this, it really was around, around death um, and pretty much death of, of, of people. Um, and then through the years, we realized that there were really over 40 life events that are grief, right? And, and we don't need to get into those today, but there are all different circumstances and experiences we have in life that are grief. Um, and so we started adding other losses to the method and started really having success with people doing really important work for themselves around that pain that you touched on. Um, and so, uh, and we started working with people in the same group. So if I had a group of 12 people and I was helping everyone through the method, you're going to have some, a widow working right next to someone who is working on a divorce, working right next to someone who's grieving their partner being diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And by creating a non-judgmental, non-comparative environment for all of those people to understand we're all grieving at 100% of us of what our loss is, we can have everyone rooting for each other. And there, it, it doesn't have to be the exact same type of loss. There doesn't have to be a, a hierarchy of my loss is more painful than your loss, or I know exactly how you feel. So we developed this way to really feel everyone um, feel comfortable doing whatever, whatever work they needed to do. Right. Um, and what we found though, is we would get calls uh, pretty often around people grieving the loss of, of, of an animal, of their, of their pet. And we would tell them about all of this work and we would ensure that they would be in a safe place to work among other people. Um, but society, like you touched on, was always so judgmental of them and always minimize their loss in, in very uh, brutal ways, very often, very hurtful ways. Right. And so those folks, even though we were supportive on the, on the phones with them and uh, they were always the ones that were not willing to show up to a group 
because their loss was so minimized, right? And so uh, I guess it's, gosh, it's been probably about seven years ago. We, Myself, John James, Russell Friedman, uh, one of the co-kind of creators of this work, we, we set out to write a book specifically speaking to those grieving people because we knew we were, the world was underserving them. We were not getting an opportunity to help them, even though we, we know we had a method that's, you know, proven evidence-based, all of that good stuff. Uh, but we weren't, we weren't, you know, they were, they were still very tentative to, to come to our work. So what we did is we wrote this book and then we also train people we call grief recovery method specialists. They're all over the world and they help clients with grief. And so we created a specific pet loss group format so mm -hmm. that they could lead groups with people and everyone going there was felt safe that everyone in that group was going to be working on, on the loss of an animal. Um, and we were all going to be safe to do that very important work. And like you touched on, I can very much relate. Like if, 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 if anyone reads that book, you'll see that some of my most significant, most traumatic losses have been the losses of dogs. I'm an animal lover across the board. I'm, I'm, you know, specifically a dog lover. Um, and, and some of my most impactful, hurtful losses were dogs. Um, and as we all know with animals, uh, they, that can be one of the most unconditional loving relationships that we get to experience in this world. And so there's really no surprise that when, when that relationship ends, we're absolutely devastated. Um, the problem is though, again, a society wants to just kind of shut that down and say, just get a new dog. It was just that it was just a cat. Um, come on. And that, and it, and it, it, it's very, very hurtful to us, right? Because from yeah. that one loss, now we have a loss of trust in a close friend or a lost yeah. trust in a in mom or dad or, uh, or our spouse, right? So um, we want to be really careful for, for as you know, we, we want to be really careful when people are, are grieving any type of a loss, they are grieving at 100% of what that loss was for them. I don't get a vote in it. You don't get a vote in it, right? Their heart is broken. And, and that's all that matters. And we want to help yeah. them. Yep. So, and it's, gosh, it just is so refreshing when, when I lost Gemini, here she's oh, here. I can see her right there. Yeah. When I lost Gemini, it was within a month of me opening my animal hospital and, um, I was incapacitated. Mm. And when I called, um, to try and find a grief counselor, I had to work through three of them, fire them, because when I called, I had I had one one session with three professionally trained counselors, and they said to me, "You're a veterinarian, right?" And I said, "Yes." And I said, "This is my she's my soulmate. She's everything." And they said, "But you go through this all the time. You of all people need to be able to recognize that you've got to get over this to keep mm -hmm. going." And I thought, you know, it was so hurtful that yeah. I, that that I was told because I was a professional and because I euthanize things for a living that I should somehow be able to get over this. I should be an expert at wow. getting over this. Yeah. It, and it was just, and even the counselor I ended up with, I was in professional counseling weekly for 16 months, just to be able to show up at my brand new animal hospital and try and be a functional vet while I was grieving. Yeah. It was incredibly difficult. And the counselor that I was with for 16 months was not highly effective, but it at least allowed me to go to work and show up. And so the fact that we've come so far yeah. is so important because, yeah. because if, if, if people are in the situation I was where I literally couldn't function, 
being told, oh, for crying out loud, this is long enough, Karen. It's been a year. Let's get a new dog. It's going to be okay. That was not, that's not the right thing to say to me and probably most people grieving. So Cole, let's walk, let's walk through some of those misconceptions. Obviously we've touched on some of them, but let's, let's talk through how we can let ourselves off the hook when we're grieving. And then maybe some tools for some emotional steps that we can take to move from where we're at in grief. Sure. Sure. Um, and, and let me just say one thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I went out of the moment a quick second. Um, my, my, one of my uh, dogs growing up, a beautiful Doberman was named Gemini. And so when you said Gemini, uh, I couldn't, be- I couldn't believe it. Uh, uh, but my heart goes out to you. And I'm sorry that, uh, unfortunately I've heard that story uh, often. Right. Um, and so I'm sorry that that was your experience and, uh, real quick, I just want to touch on one other point, and this is not to, um, to, uh, demean at all what therapists and counselors do. I, I work with them every day and, and, and they're amazing. Right. And, but believe it or not, what you'll find is a lot of them seek out our training because they're looking specific tools around grief. And at two days into our training, they will freely admit, you know, Cole, I spent like a half a semester on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief. Yep. And that's all I got around the topic of grief. Yep. Right. And so again, um, we get to work with specialists, like I said, all the time, and we get the really good ones who, who understand I don't have enough tools around this topic. And I know it sounds crazy and I have no idea why this is not covered in mental health professionals, uh, school, yes, but yes. there is almost none. So I just want your listeners to know that like, if they are seeking out a, um, a grief counselor, just know that, that like you talked about, um, Dr. Becker, uh, that really doesn't mean a lot. It, it, it's very, very, uh, it's varied in terms of what, what tools they're going to use. So I would, if you're looking at a grief counselor, obviously I'm biased. I would look into a grief recovery method specialist. They will never say anything that was, was told to you, Dr. Becker, I promise. Uh, but if you're talking to a, a grief counselor that is not using our method, ask them what tools they are using, ask them what their framework is. It's excellent. That's really important because a lot of the time, um, they just, they didn't have a lot of uh, education on it. And yep, we don't that want makes you. Total sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've had so many people say I spent years and years and years in therapy. I should have just started with this. I should have just come yes. to this eight week program exactly because it's all we look at is grief. And a lot of the time these again, well-intentioned mental health professionals, they, they just, don't, they, they just don't have a framework around yep. grief specifically. So I just want to touch on that um, r- really briefly and, and sorry for that kind of little sidebar, but um, your question was essentially, what can we do to let, let ourselves off, off the hook? And what, what can we do to kind of, um, take a step? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So number one, uh, I think the most important thing is we have to protect ourselves from these hurtful comments that we have in society. And so number one, uh, we need to find safe people that we can express our, our, our feelings with. One thing that happens with grief is we tend to isolate with our grief. The reason being, again, is three days after a loss, whether it's a kid, child going back to school or us going back to work, the standard answer is, how are you doing? We have to say, I'm fine. Yep. We may be bleeding to death emotionally. Yep. We may be out of the moment 90% of the time. We may have a complete lack of energy and, and kind of question the whole point of stuff. Um, but they want you to say, I'm fine. Right. And yep. so number one, we, we, uh, we call it Academy award winning recovery, right. Which is basically just cover all feelings. Don't tell anyone how you feel. And that's a bad plan because pretty soon we feel very alone with our grief. And so what we want to do is we want to 
be able to what we call tell the truth about how you feel. Now you have to find safe people to do that. And so if, if Dr. Becker and I were having coffee and, and we're, uh, you know, three months out from the loss of Gemini, I'm going to ask her how she's doing. And hopefully I'm going to be from our past conversations, a safe enough person for her to tell the truth. I, I'm having a rough day or I'm having a really rough moment, or I've just passed the dog park. We used to always go to, and it just absolutely was, was hurtful. And, and I'll offer her a hug and I'll just kind of let her talk. I'm going to be what we call a heart with ears. She doesn't need my analysis. She doesn't need my keen opinions on what she should do. She's getting, so when I'm working with grievers in the back of my mind, I'm saying, what are they trying to get me to hear? That's really my role. Now, at some point, I'm going to help them navigate through the method if that's where we're at. But most of the time, I'm a heart with ears. I don't even need a mouth, right? Because yeah. there's, no, there's not a line that I'm going to say that's going to uh, help someone with their grief. We got to help give them the tools to do that work. So, but anyway, practically speaking, uh, find people that are safe and avoid the people that are not safe, or at least avoid this conversation with them. So if you know someone is going to be really critical or comparative or minimizing of your grief around your animal, um, I just would not open that door to them because we want to protect our hearts. And then with other folks, you may just say, hey, would you mind just being a heart with ears? Could set up the framework a little bit, because the fact of the matter is there was a study and way back in the day. And it was like out of 141 comments said to a griever, how many were helpful? And the grieving people said 19. There were 19 comments out of 141 that were yeah. actually helpful. So there's you you really have to be careful when you're when you're listening to a grieving person because we we have antennas, right? And we grievers have these antennas. And every time something uh is said to us, we're filtering that through was that sense insensitive? And a lot of the time it can be. And so um, you, it's up to us to protect our hearts and kind of set the ground rules on really what I'm looking to do in this interaction with the trusted friend. And what I'm looking to do most of the time is share my feelings and just have them offer me a hug and say, I, I heard that. I can't imagine what you're going through right now. Uh, because the fact of the matter is you can't. Uh, Dr. Becker and I both had um, beautiful uh, dogs. Uh, they were both named Gemini, but our two relationships with those two dogs was was different, right? Completely different. And so the work that I'm going to do around my loss, the work that she's going to do around her loss is completely different. And so I can't tell, uh, or I shouldn't tell Dr. Becker, gosh, I know exactly how you feel. I had a dog too. I, her name was Gemini too. I know exactly how you feel. That would come across for her as completely untruthful, right? Even though I'm trying to relate to her and I'm, I'm well-intentioned, it's gonna, there's gonna be a sting or a big sting of hurt for her because it's not accurate. It's not, I don't know how she feels. Now, if I wanna kind of lend my support, I may say, gosh, I don't know how you feel, but I know when I lost my Gemini, I didn't, I went to the kitchen. I forgot why I went in there. Um, every dog I saw, it was hurtful. I couldn't even think of getting another dog for a, a, a couple of years, but what's going on with you? So I'm going to give her a little bit about how I felt, but really I want her to, op I want to open the door for her to just tell me how she feels. And when she starts going, I'm going to do this. At that point, she just needs me to be heart with ears. Okay. So, um, that's one thing. I hope that's hopeful for your listeners um, is we got to just protect ourselves because it's really hard. Because what happens is if you if you just kind of are open with everyone and you get minimized and judged yeah. and compared all of us pretty soon, you're going to not trust anyone to open up with. Right. So early on, we got to find who's safe.
It's really good, really good advice. And I think it's okay when, if you have to be in relationship, whether it's a coworker or a family member that, you know, is not going to understand it. I think it's okay to also have some boundaries and say, you know, I'm not ready to talk about what's going on. Um, especially, uh, if they're trying to be helpful, but it's actually every word they're saying is just making you bleed more. I think it's okay to just say, I I don't want to, we're not going to talk about this. And, and, and that can be very protective to your heart as well. Yeah. I love it. And I totally agree with you a hundred percent. Um, and, and what I found in my own experience uh, is again, if I can pre-frame it with, with just asking them, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how I feel, but, I, but you know, we're not looking for solutions or problem solving or anything like that. Do you, would you mind just hearing me? Cause you know, and then, and then that way they kind of know yeah. what the ground rules are. But yeah. like you said, if, if it goes to them offering their opinion and stuff, then I think it's absolutely right to just be like, I, you know, we, I don't really want to talk about about it. Uh, thank you for hearing me. Right. And just, exactly. cut, and, and just cut off the conversation there. there. Uh, one of the biggest things that we do when we're in our groups, um, you'll be seven weeks into a group and all the group has gelled. They all love each other. They all understand grief on a whole nother level. They're doing incredible work, but even that far into it, society has given us some, so many bad pieces of information and things to say, even that far in, if you let the other person, the, the part after the one person shares their work, if you let the other person just kind of open-ended start talking, they can put their foot in their mouth that that long into it. Right. And so the kind of the crosstalk around grief is, I find is almost always, um, not helpful unless you really know what you're doing and stuff. So, uh, again, with friends and family who are grieving, just be there for them, offer them a hug, uh, listen to them at the end of what they say, let, let them know that you heard them be in the moment there. That's the other thing, right? I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've opened up my heart and I am telling my story to someone and someone has gone out of the moment. I can see them go out of the moment. They're planning their rebuttal to me. Right. And so I've already lost them in the moment. So I know they're not hearing me. And then their rebuttal is probably not going to be that helpful, right? And so let's just skip all that and just be in the moment for someone, hear them and offer them a hug at the end. And and that's yeah. a and, and you're going to be one of the safest people they have in their life just by doing that. I and I know it sounds weird, but it's really what we find. And and so talk to me a little bit, Cole, about when you talk about the group, like the eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, now are you doing online? Let's say that we have readers or listeners that are hearing this and say, you know what, I, this is something, this is a program I think that could be very beneficial to me. There's, there's a book you can read, of course, are yep. there groups that you can join virtually or how does it work now? Like how, if people, I, I have found that talking to other people specifically about the loss of when I lost Gemini, I wanted to talk to people who were familiar with the death of a dog, mm-hmm. not a human, not a kitty, the kitties, you know, I I've done that as well, but, but just as a specific, I wanted to be around people that understood a, maybe a little bit of what I was feeling. Yeah. And so are these groups put together in a way that if people were to join this or go to a seminar that they would be with other grieving dog owner, or let's just say animal, animal loss group, or how, how do you assemble those groups? And for people that say, I don't want to be in a group setting whatsoever. What are some other alternatives to be able to, to work with a professional, but not necessarily in a group dynamic? Sure. Sure. Um, so the first thing is, uh, 
the timing is just a little bit off. We're actually launching, uh, we have online groups uh, and we have on online one-on-one -on -one programs for grieving people. This specific online pet loss group is about to be launched, um, I'd say in a month or two. So it's coming soon. And so that's really exciting. And we're very, very excited about that. For, for the last several years, it's been an in-person thing. And with uh, you know our, our COVID and everything, we've moved all of our work online and we're seeing amazing results in helping people really, really on a, on a profound level online. So that, that pet loss group is coming shortly. Uh, and also if people aren't co comfortable working in a group, you can all absolutely work with one of our team one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one as well, online. So if you feel more comfortable doing online and one-on-one -on -one work, that that's available as well. And then um, to, to answer your, your, your question. So obviously there's many periods of your grief and, and at one point you may just want to be connecting right with just feeling a sense of, gosh, there's other people going through this. Mm -hmm. And so you may really want to identify with another person who's lost a dog and, and that's, and that's absolutely great. And, and so um, uh, you know, there's a very good chance other people will be working on that loss in the group. There's other people who will be working on other animals. But what I can what I can say is for, for our work, at least, we can really create enough safety again, just by really, I mean, pe when people hear that, it's like every griever is unique because every relationship is unique. And we all um, have our, our own work to do on the specific relationship. So what do I mean by that? Uh, at the very start of the of our work uh, is a bunch of education because our parents don't sit us down and say, okay, here's the birds and the bees talk. And then here's this grief talk we need to have because you're going to have 15, 20, 30 losses in your life. They're going to be devastating. And here's some tools to help you with that. Unfortunately, we don't get that talk, right? So just the lack of knowledge uh, uh, around grief is, is an issue. And so we help educate people just on the definitions of grief, what grief is, how many different things, you know, grief can be, th those sort of things. And then we do a thing called the, the loss history graph, where once you know now, here's all my grief, here's all things that can be grief, we're going to chart our whole life and identify all the painful grief in our life. And then we're going to come to the loss we want to work on in this program. And so, um, someone working on their, their, and I guess that's, that's where it doesn't matter in the group in terms of who lost what animal. By the time we get to the relationship we're focused on, we're all supporting each other. And then you're going to dive very specifically on all of the hopes, dreams, and expectations that you had that were lost because that animal died. We're going to look at all the things that we, we wish would have been different, better, or more in the relationship. Yeah. You know, gosh, I wish I would have gotten home from work earlier to walk you. I'm so sorry that when my kids came into the picture, I felt like you were a little bit on the back burner, right? There's a whole 10 for my last, last dog, George, that I, that I had to euthanize in a really rushed way. And it was really painful for me. Well, he was my first dog as an adult for my wife and I, he was really our first kid. He, he was there for the births of all of our children. He was great with my kids. He was like that one of a once of a lifetime dog. Well, when he dies, I have a tremendous amount of energy around the loss and saying goodbye to him in, in that veterinarian office and, and all of that. But I also have 10 years worth of, again, feelings, happy, sad, yeah. neutral. And, um, 
And so I want to look at that entire uh, thing. So um, if someone is working next to me and she, she lost a cat and then I'm over here in the group and I'm working on a dog at that point, we're so focused on our total relationship and saying goodbye to the, the total, uh, you know, friendship we had with that, with that animal at that point, it really doesn't matter who's working on what loss, right? Because although we can sense, have a sense of, of camaraderie and, and, and connectedness when we talk about both losing a dog. Um, a lot of that's intellectual and we want to help people move 14 inches down to their heart. And once we get into the emotional work, then it's like, we can all be supportive and it doesn't matter if you're working on a dog and I am, or you're working on a horse and I'm working on a, on a cat. Um, at that point, we're so focused on our own personal work and what we need to say goodbye to in that relationship. Um, that again, it's, um, it's. It, it, it doesn't matter what we're working on. The problem is, is so much as society, they don't have any tools past us feeling connected around. We have the same type of loss. And yeah. so the problem is we got to keep just talking about uh, the same type of loss. And then we kind of start focusing on maybe the cause of death, right? Because we can both intellectually identify with the cause of death. But the problem is we're, we're, we're missing that 10, 15, 20 years of of really the work is where we find the work needs to be done, which is saying goodbye to all of those things, right? Like for George, my expectation was he was going to live to 14. Why? Well, that type of breed, I just figured I was going to have 14 years with them, right? Right. And so when he dies at 10, I have a, I have a hurt around that expectation. I wanted four more years with you. Yep. You know, yep. um, or, or things I wish could have been different. Like I said, when the kids came, I, I didn't yep. spend as much time with them. Um, or, uh, you know, so anyway, the, there's, believe it or not, right, we can find in a 10 year relationship with an animal, we can find so much of that pain of that hurt of that unfinished emotional business. And we want to process that and complete that. I'm not looking to say goodbye to George. I'm looking to say goodbye to the pain associated with that loss. I check in with George from time to time. I yeah. just saw a photo of him yesterday and I said, oh, I love you, buddy. I miss you. Yeah, exactly. um, and I know, I know you're good now. I miss you. I love you. Goodbye. So I do little quick check-ins with, yep. and that's more, you know, kind of the specifics of the work, but, um, Anyway, I, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm kind think, of rambling here. Dr. No, Becker. I know it's I, really I good. It's really good. But I think that that's a really important point to make that when you work through grief, you're working through grief to overcome it, to get over, to move past it. Yes. You're not moving past. You're not saying goodbye to the relationship. You're saying no. goodbye to the pain. And yes. that's, that's, that relationship goes on forever. The pain we have we have the ability to work through that. It, it's hard work, but it's incredibly important work for you to be able to have that relationship with the animal that is not physically any longer mm -hmm. and not have a pain response when you think about it. And that's why this, that's why grief recovery is so important. It's that it's that we're able to to shift our perspective into a way that allows us to not have recurrent pain for the rest of our lives. And I think that so many people, because we aren't given tools and because it's not a conversation that we have regularly, and because we're not trained professionals, we live with so much pain that's unnecessary. Yeah. Thank, thank you for saying that. I, uh, it's, this is going to sound weird as well, but there are leaders out there in the grief community with a certain type of loss that, that and they have a platform and they're certainly not connected with us, but they will say, this loss is a life sentence of misery for you. Oh, 
And that's, 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 that is the help and advice that they offer people. Right. And uh, we, we attract people that go to a meeting like that. They look around, people are talking about a loss. It sounds like the loss happened a week ago. Later, they find out that the loss happened 10 years ago and they go, this is, this isn't for us. Right. We are seeking in spite of these tragic, uh, devastating, I'm not trying to minimize at all what we go through. It's, it's, you know, again, this, this is the, some of the hardest stuff we deal with on this planet is losing yeah. these, these relationships we love, but to, to, to say, this is a life sentence of misery. And that's all I got for you is just unacceptable to us. Gosh. And so, you know, like what you touched on, there are actions that we can take within time to help time alone, just passes time does not heal. I yep. promise you, I see people who are unfinished as the day that they lost that person 10 years later. 20 years later. And so time alone just passes, right? If I have a flat tire and I pull over to the side of the road, right? And the energy has left, the air has left that tire. I can't, I, my get up is going, is gone. I'm just sitting there. I cannot just sit there and wait for time to heal. I must take some actions. Either I'm going to fix that tire myself. I'm going to seek triple A's, you know, help on assisting me with that. But there are, there's going to be actions in that time frame, And it's no different with grief. Um, I just for a quick example, and this isn't an animal, but uh, it, this story will will apply. I was working with a lady who was grieving the death of her husband. They'd been married 50 years. The last year of his life, he had cancer and she was his primary caregiver in their home. And it was really hurtful for her. And he, you know, his mind kind of went and he said really hurtful things to her. And it was just, she was so stuck in the pain of that last year that that unresolved grief was robbing her of 49 years of, of a beautiful marriage and through grief recovery and through identifying pain from that year and pain from the other parts of the relationship too. But by saying goodbye to the pain, she got access back to all of yes. this wonderful stuff with her husband. Right. And she could, and then I could ask her, well, what was the first, when was the first time you guys met and her, and her face, just her eyes would light up and she would, she was there. And that's what we're looking to do with grief recovery is we want, you to get access to the whole relationship. We want you to be able to have fun memories. The problem is unresolved grief. And if we have all this unfinished emotional business from the past with that relationship, well, then we have trouble accessing any memory. Every memory turns painful or we veer off to the stuff that's unfinished. Right. And so, um, if I do grief recovery work with you in a year on the anniversary of, of your animal's death, you say, gosh, I'm really sad. I'm going to just offer you a hug. I'm not going to say, well, gosh, I guess grief recovery didn't work. Sadness is normal and natural, right? Sadness. I try and teach my kids all the time. Just like we can have a laughing fit in the home. We can, we can cry. And that's Mm -hmm. just as normal as laughter. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to let that be okay. And the problem is, is right. You see this all the time. I'm sure in, in your practice, the minute my emotions come, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I, we, I was just we, going to yeah. say that the, the guilt that I'm glad you're touching on that mm-hmm. people want to apologize for how they feel for their grief. And so mm-hmm. thank you for bringing that up. Can you touch on, on your thoughts about that? Because so many sure. people say they start crying. And then of course, the first statement is I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. But also, they have guilt when they think about their animal and the funny things they used to do or the magic of the relationship, they have guilt remembering the good times. And I think that that's an, an aspect of unresolved grief that, that mm-hmm. they can't look back and give themselves permission to smile and talk positively or you know, recite a really hilarious story mm-hmm. because their animal has passed 
and grief prevents them from acknowledging the amazing joy that the relationship held. Right. Yes. And that's, that's 100% what we don't want for folks, right? We want them to be able to, to have that spiritual connection with their animal forever, have that emotional connection with their animal forever. Obviously the physical relationship ended, uh, but we don't want to lose access to all, uh, to those other aspects of our relationship and, and we shouldn't. And so we help people all the time with the feelings you're talking about, you know, there's, there's grief. And then what we also say, uh, what we also see is regret. Right. And so if I look back and I'm thinking about that, that, that amazing backpacking trip that I did with George and it was just me and him and it was our, it was our first one ever. Right. And it's like me and him in the tent. And, and if I'm unfinished with all of the relationship with George, I can't go there two minutes in, uh, you know, minute into that memory. I'm oh, that hurts. Right. Cause I had that hope, that dream and that expectation that, that we would have more of those trips. Right. And so I need to know, I need to know what to do in real time as those feelings come up. And so that's where, again, going back to uh, different, better or more, uh, that's just a case of, I wanted more of that. And so if I, that feeling is there, a lot of the time, the sadness and the pain is just, I can't do that again. We can't have that experience again. And so I may just, again, do a quick check-in with George, right? Either formally in the, in the, uh, in the form of a journal writing, or even just kind of just saying it to myself, but it's like, gosh, I wish we would. I just, I was reviewing our relationship, George, and I discovered something I wanted to tell you. Do you remember that backpacking trip we had? I had so much fun in, on that trip, right? It was so cool waking up to you in, in the morning and you had like my, my old sleeping bag I draped over you. Like I, I, I miss that. I wish we could have more of that, but I got to say goodbye to the pain of that so I can be free of that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm trying to communicate. I'm not saying goodbye to you, but I need to say goodbye to that. Um, we're kind of, we're kind of jumping way ahead in the method. I would have, I would have had to have gone and done the, the bulk of the work saying goodbye to George before those things happen. But the point is after the death, we have stimulus all around us, right? Um, everything in our home reminds us of that animal, the bull, the leash, the collar, driving past the dog park, um, you know, seeing our friend's dog and they played all the, the time together. And all of those things are stimulus and right. And those all can hurt us all yep. can hurt us. If we have a bunch of energy around that stuff, because, because we haven't said goodbye to the, to that relationship, right. Yeah. To the pain around it. And so it's hard to address the stimulus if we're unfinished with kind of the iceberg underneath the water. Okay. Exactly. So I'm, I'm kind of talking out of turn in terms of like, when I do something that uh, we call a PS letter, like I said, just a quick brief communication around this, this moment, this feeling I had, cause I have two options in that moment. When that memory comes up, I can either stuff it and it doesn't go anywhere and it does really bad stuff in the body. I'd love to talk to you as a doctor yes, at, at some point yes. down the road, just in terms of what this energy does in our body, it creates really rough environments for things to thrive. You know, as I know you're, you know what I'm talking about, but, but that's, you know, a different thing. So anyway, so I can stuff it forever, not a good plan, or I can process that and I can share that and I can get that out. Okay. So I don't need to, to hang on to that hurt, that energy and that, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of regret a lot of the time when the memories come up and the regret is, I wish we could do that more. <clears throat> now there, there may be regret where it's like, no, I handled that a way I shouldn't have. Right. Or I, I wish I would have done that differently, or I wish I wouldn't have been so stern on you that one time. So regret can be that too. But a lot of the time regret is just us getting punched in the gut emotionally. Cause we can't go do that experience again. <clears throat> Guilt is another one. And I, I want to touch on this for your listeners. Cause hopefully we can let them off the hook. <clears throat> 
excuse me, if you define guilt, uh, most definitions, there would be an implication that it's a deliberate intention to harm, right? So if we're on trial and we're found guilty, there's a deliberate intention of harming. 99% of the time with grievers, when we have feelings of guilt, um, it's not really accurate because we didn't have a deliberate intention of harming. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so really the feeling is more, I wish that could have been differently. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you come home from work every day at lunch to help your cat go uh, to, the, to the bathroom because they're, they're old and they can't move and, and you make sure they're comfortable. Okay. And you've done that for the whole last seven months. And what happens the one day you can't leave work and go help that your kitty out? What happens, right? That yep. cat dies. And what, what will happen for that grieving person is they will say, I feel so guilty. I was not there that day when she died. I feel so guilty. And we'll use that word. It's a very trapping word and it's a very hard word to recover from. Okay. And so what we help people do is we help them define it. Okay. Sue, if you define the word grief, that's in a deliberate intent to harm. Now I know you would have done anything for, you know, um, Taz, uh, you went home every day. Okay. So maybe instead of saying, uh, I feel guilty, which is the deliberate intention of harming, maybe let's change that to, I wish that day could have happened differently. Yeah. Right. Because that we can do something with that. We can help them process. I wish that would have happened differently mm -hmm. versus I feel so guilty because it's just not the right word. Now, sometimes I work with people in prisons and guilt is the right word. And there yep. was a de deliberate intention of harm. And that's a whole different, you know, podcast, but, but for folks, 99% of the grievers, when we feel guilt, it's just, we wish that would have happened differently. We yep. wish we could have handled that differently, but there wasn't a deliberate intent to harm. So let's just try and put that word away. Cause it's very trapping. So good. Do you call, do you, do you cover this in your book, the grief recovery handbook for pet loss? Do you cover if, if we have listeners or readers absorbing this information now and think I, I need more of that. Is this in, in your book, in your handbook? Yeah. Most all the concepts that, that, um, that I'm covering are in the grief recovery handbook for pet loss. Um, and the whole action plan, the whole method, to work through your loss is in that book as well. And there's instructions on how to find a friend or a listener. And so you can absolutely, if you are heartbroken over the loss of an animal, you can, you can get right into action, get really good information and knowledge around the topic. Also look, and we will help identify and help you find all the places you're unfinished. And you can work through that book with a, with a friend again, that can just be a heart with ears, not, not, not big instructions for, for the, the partner, but they can also work through their own loss as well. And you can work together. So that's a great start point for other people. They want to work with, you know, again, go to one of our, our groups or see it, somebody one-on-one -on -one who's been trained at a very high level in this work. And so that's an option too, but we love the book. We have people that go through the book with a friend all the time. And it can be very, very helpful. And it also will give you and equip you with tools because as you know, unfortunately, um, with pets and the lifespan of pets, this, this is not going to be our only loss, uh, most likely. And so to have some tools and some tips and some ways to, to go to heal your heart from all different losses uh, is really important, right? So it's like, 
um, it's just a great toolkit to have just in, in terms of, of your life experience. We also have a book called When Children Grieve, and that's a great book for parents and mm. grandparents to help give helpful information to the kids in their care around these grief events. Very often children, the loss of a pet is going to be one of their first major grieving experiences. And so to have some tools and know how to communicate with them and know how to go first as the leader of, of your family is really important to set that tone of how we're going to be. So often we're told as, as parents, hey, you have to be strong for your kids, or you have to be strong for your wife, or you got to be strong for your husband. Um, and what that equates to, unfortunately, is being robotic and not showing outward emotions. And these little people are looking to us at how to do this. And so if I'm just stoic and being strong for my kids, that's very confusing to these little intuitive children, right? That was George. That was daddy's favorite dog. That was my dog. Why is he acting so aloof around this, right? Yeah. That can be a loss of trust in a parent too. And so Absolutely. all of a sudden we have the loss of a dog and then our kids have this other loss of trust in mom or dad too. And so we don't, we don't want that. And so anyway, we have, um, several books that could be helpful, but, but obviously the grief recovery handbook handbook for pet loss would be a great um, start point Starting. if you're grieving the loss of an animal. Okay. This is a great, this is a great time for you to help us know where we would go to find these tools, Cole, where, if people wanted to learn more, you know, think about maybe joining a group, buying the book, getting involved or, or seeking maybe one-on-one -on -one counseling, where do people go to find this sure. information? Yeah. So if you just visit www.griefrecoverymethod.com, uh, we try and lay it all out there. There's an area where you can order the book. There's an area where you can book a call with us. We talk to people every day, just kind of letting them know what, what different options they have with us. Um, and so, yeah, spend some time. We have hundreds of articles on our blog too. And so you can, we got eBooks on pet loss. So we have a lot of resources and materials for you to just kind of take a look and see if we can help you. I am so incredibly thankful for your dad's work for addressing this before there, when, when there's nothing out there, he stepped up and put together information that wasn't available and look how incredibly impactful what he did has been not just to you, but to so many people that desperately need this. I'm so thankful yeah. that you've included animals in, in your platform. Yeah. I'm also so thankful that you recognize that the death of an animal can be as monumental or more monumental than that of a human. And that, and that by us talking about it and feeling safe to be able to talk about it, it's the beginning of us making steps to heal our pain and that yeah. it's possible to do that with support and professionals that are trained to help you help is available. And all we have to do is be brave enough to take a first step. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. And I, I love all the work that you do. And I love that you're providing these resources for, for your community. So thanks for having me on and, and I hope we can help. Thank you for watching this interview. I hope you came away with some important takeaways that will be helpful to you on your journey. This is a difficult topic to talk about for sure, but expanding your knowledge and educating yourself about the grief process will help you through it. We're so thankful you're taking the time to care for yourself in this way.